This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. And welcome to it. We're about six minutes after four o'clock. We are ready to go. We hope you are as well. Yet yeah, lines are open and ready for your questions. 604 9898 Help at employmentlawyer.ca is the way you want to send through an email to, uh, this afternoon. We'll try to get to a few of those as we carry on here. Leah Moody is, uh, Miss Moody is uh, handling things as far as the questions are concerned and all the uh, wonderful employment law topics. Leah, how are you, my friend? I am good. How are you, John? I'm, uh, I'm hanging in there, ready to roll. It's a uh, it's an afternoon, it's a Sunday, so let's get this uh, underway. We're going to be talking about employment rights on the sale of a business and uh topic of you need an employment lawyer when. We'll get to those, but first I know you got a couple things to talk about when it comes to the uh, the week that was, pal. What do you got going on? I do, yeah, and it's good to be back. It's been a while since I've been on the show mm-hmm. with you and... You know, uh, in case it's been a while for other people who are listening to the show too, or even if this is your first time listening in, welcome. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you don't know what the show is about, this is about employment law. Uh, And, you know, more to the point, it's about you. Uh, You as an employee or you as an employer and employment relationships or workplace rights. And ultimately, this show is here to answer your questions. I will ramble for the full hour if required. But ultimately, if you have a question, please call in. That is what we are here for. If something has happened to you in the workplace, you know, if you've been asked to sign a contract, if you've recently been giving an offer letter or a termination letter, you know, if you're being harassed or you have some questions about the impact of this pandemic and this recession on yeah. layoffs or the work going forward, you know, give us give us a call. Uh, it's important to understand your rights and we're here to give you that information. Uh, and John, like you said, to start us off, to get us warmed up, we do have this little segment called The Week That Was, which is Again, just a little snapshot of the work that I do during the week as an employment lawyer uh, on real cases that, that come across my desk. And this past week, or it could have been the week before, I spoke to a gentleman who was contacting me on what initially seemed like a very straightforward and simple matter. He had worked with his employer uh, a while back and he had this outstanding invoice that he had billed to the company that wasn't paid. Uh, he, you know, he had worked some 80 odd hours for the company, invoiced them for his time and then didn't receive compensation for those hours. And he was contacting me to figure out how to get compensation. Now, clearly that's illegal, right? You, you generally have to be paid for the hours that you work. And, you know, none of the exceptions applied to this particular individual. So I told them that he absolutely has a claim for those outstanding earnings and, uh, and that we could help recover them. But before we got off the phone, I, you know, did a little bit more digging and I asked him whether or not he was still working for the company as, you know, whether or not you're work, still working for the company can inform the strategy that you take in order to pursue an unpaid invoice. Uh, he said that he was not. And I asked mm-hmm. him whether or not he was paid any severance. So he tells me that the employer terminated his contract like six or eight months ago and that he wasn't paid anything. But he says, you know, don't worry about it, Leah, because I, I, I know I don't get any severance because I'm an independent contractor. And, and that is technically correct because anybody who is a true independent contractor, uh, right. strictly speaking, isn't entitled to severance unless your contract says that you are. But 
John, you know, and I know that just because the company calls you an independent contractor, even if you call yourself an independent contractor, or just because you invoice your time, doesn't make you legally an independent contractor and does not by a long shot disentitle you to severance. So, you know, he, like I said, he had called himself an independent contractor and we were looking at the whole situation and I thought, you know, this is somebody who would not have even called me, but for the fact that he had this outstanding invoice, right? So we looked at a couple of the things that we look at when we consider whether or not he's an independent contractor or an employee. So the two main things that we look at are control and integration. And Mm -hmm. for anybody out there who is listening to this and thinking, I call myself an independent contractor. I wonder if this might apply to me. You want to just sort of generally think about those two concepts, control and integration. So if you don't have a lot of control over your work, so say, you know, the company sets your own schedule, it sets your rate of of pay, it dictates your clients. Um, And if you're fairly integrated with the company, you know, if you go to company Christmas parties and you've got company cards and you show up to a company office, it is more likely than not that a court would call you an employee. Regardless of, again, regardless of what you call yourself, a court would call you an employee and not an independent contractor. And that is ultimately what is going to entitle you to severance. So, you know, this particular individual, what started as a claim for an outstanding invoice has now turned into a claim for six to eight months of severance because he was a sales rep for this company for five years and he was 53 years old. So, uh, you know, these situations are obviously very fact specific and they're so unique to the employee and the unique relationship with the company. So it's hard to give any general advice on this topic, Mm -hmm. but I will say that if your employer has let you go and they said that they don't owe you any severance because you're an independent contractor, give us a call. All of these consultations in terms of determining whether or not you're an employee or independent contractor are done for free at my firm. And we can make sure that you're not leaving any money on the table that you have earned as an employee. The number, as you know, 604-280-9898. That's the call into the show and ask your questions. I know you got another matter you want to talk about, Leah, but uh, we always bounce over the phone calls when we get them. Uh, Michelle, thanks for standing by. How are you this afternoon? I'm good. Thank you. Good. What's on your mind? Um, I was recently being terminated by my employer after uh, 20 years of working there. But the company was actually, uh, they filed a CCAA uh, filing uh, before I was terminated. So my question is, what is my chance of getting severance pay uh, because of this yeah. situation? Uh, or the uh, eight weeks of uh, uh, the uh the minimum uh, severance pay according to the BC laws? Yeah, so I mean, first I will say that, you know, you have two years to pursue an action against your employer, right? And filing for mm-hmm. CCAA protection doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to result in a bankruptcy. Do you know the present status of the CCAA protection or is it is it ongoing? Uh, it's still ongoing right now. Okay. So, I mean, as it stands, as soon as a company files for that kind of protection, you know, actions are stayed against them. And what that means is that you can't bring an action against them civilly for the termination of your employment. But that doesn't mean that you don't have a claim. So right now, you know, you do have, uh, you will have some recourse through the Wage Earner Protection Act. Um, you know, mm-hmm. but it, to be honest, it's very unfortunate. That's not going to come anywhere close to what your common law entitlements would be after 20 years. So right. what I would do if I were you is um, 
you know, start looking for other work, keep track of those efforts. And Mm -hmm. if and when they, uh, they go back into business, then you can bring a claim against them at that point. I mean, you can also, of course, get your name on the service list for the CCAA protection um, proceedings so that you can be kept up to date from the trustee um, and, you know, in case there are any assets that are then divvied up against the creditors of which you are technically one, an unsecured creditor as somebody who's been terminated, um, that's a way that you can get information on it. But if they do bounce back, and I hope that they do, then you you will still have a claim against them and you'll have two years to bring it. So only after if they bounce back, but this company is actually sold to to a different company. Okay. Is, do you know if it's the same um, directors or owners conducting the no, same business? No, it's a totally different company. It's uh, yeah, it's unrelated. Okay. So if it's an if it's an unrelated company, unrelated owners, that and you know they pretty much just sold all the parts in a fire sale, then I, I think that in terms of a common law severance claim, you're probably out of luck. Unfortunately, mm. this is just something very unfortunate that happens when companies go out of business um, for reasons related to bankruptcy. Uh, but you know, I still would get yourself on that that service list so that if there are assets, if there is money that's being divvied up amongst creditors, um, you are considered to be one one of the people who are going to to be paid out. Okay. Okay. So there's actually no difference between if you got termi- if you got terminated before or after the CCA filing. I mean, no, not really. Um, mm-hmm. you know, if if you got if you got terminated before the the CCAA filing, you know, notionally you could have immediately filed a wrongful dismissal claim and at least got a judgment so you could have been a secured creditor. But ultimately, mm. what matters is, is there a company that exists and is financially solvent enough to pay the judgment that you got against it at the time that you get it, right? So, right. you know, even if you were terminated six months before, if it eventually files, um, that is unfortunately just the, the end of the claim. Okay. okay. I'm very sorry to tell yeah. you that, especially after 20 years, yeah. Thank you, Michelle. Appreciate the call. Jamal, Carly, see you guys standing by. Hang on the line. We will get to your calls immediately following a short break, which we will take now. You can call through as well. Just get some answers just like that. Leah, ready and standing by. 604-280-9898. Employment Law Show continues on CKNW. And welcome back. It is 418. Yeah, Employment Law Show. You want to reach out right here. 604-280-9898 is the way. To do exactly that. Jamal, thank you for standing by. How are you this afternoon? Hi, I'm doing good. How are you? Great. What's uh, what's on your mind? Yeah, so um, I'm off work. It's been about a year now. Um, I've been off because um, I busted my knee while working um, at Air Canada. I was working inside a cargo pit. Um, and now um, I had to get surgery, and I'm still going through a lot, a lot of problems. And I'm under a WorkSafe BC claim. Um, and now they sent me to an OR1 program. It's been about three to four months after my surgery. And I'm still having massive pain, massive problems. It's, it's like really, really bad still. Um, under their files, they show that I can only do up to 15 pounds. But now they want to send me back to work and they put a limit of 30 pounds. Um, even with no pounds, my knee is in a lot of pain still. Um, it hurts a lot and I don't really know what to do here. Um, but yeah, like okay. they set a limit to 30 pounds and really 15 pounds is what I've done max, even though it's been hurting with no pounds, right? Okay, when you say they have put a limit of 30 pounds, are you talking about the people over at WorkSafe? Um, so the people that put a limit are my are the clinic, the OR1 program that I'm going to, 
And mm-hmm. yeah, I guess they work interconnected and somehow, yes. Okay. I mean, so technically speaking, an employer is going to follow the direction of the medical documentation that it's getting. So if right. they're going to get, if they're getting medical documentation that says that you can return to work at this restriction or this limitation, then they are going to expect you to return to work if they can accommodate that restriction or limitation. So mm-hmm. if you disagree with that, I would strongly recommend that you, you know, see your family physician, um, a treating physician that perhaps knows you better, knows your condition better, and get a second opinion so that you can run that by the, the people at the OR clinic, uh, perhaps even at WorkSafe, and then, you know, just modify what the restrictions and limitations are. Otherwise, you're going to have your employer wonder why you aren't coming to work. Sure, no, absolutely, yeah. Um, I also want to follow up with one other question. Am I, uh, sure. can I speak it? Or? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah sure. So um, also what happened was I, I work with um, with Air Canada, and when I first got my injury, um, um, like my knee was a little bit sore at first, so then I called my employer, um, like like the head manager, and I asked them, like, hey, like, my knee's a little bit sore. Is there anything you guys can give me separate? Because, like, I don't know why it's just a bit sore today. And... Um, they said, you have to call a different number. We can't help you. And I called the second manager, and that manager didn't pick up. It's like, sorry, we can't change your, uh, your position. You would have to file a workplace injury. And I'm like, okay, well, I didn't get injured, so I guess I don't have a choice. I hop in and changing my position. So I hopped into the cargo pit um, inside the plane. Um, two minutes in, I twisted my knee, and I just got insane swelling, and that's when the injury got really, really bad. Um you know, I was thinking maybe I could take this, like, to court, talk to um, a lawyer about this. Do you guys think I have a case on this? Yeah, I mean, if you have a doctor that will say that it was, you know, that additional work that exacerbated the injury, you might want to speak to a personal injury lawyer. Um, that's not something that I, as an employment lawyer, can comment on, but I mm-hmm. also can't say that you don't have a case there. So I would maybe see what your doctor says and then perhaps consider having a consultation with a personal injury lawyer. Awesome. Okay. So like, okay. Thank you so much, by the way. I appreciate it. Yeah, that was, that was You're it. welcome, Jamal. Thanks, Jamal. Appreciate that. And you need something else on the other side, uh, 604-283-3123. That's to get a hold of Leah and her team, 604-283-3123. And uh, right here and now at 604-280-9898. Lots of lines open. Feel free to come on over and ask your questions. Carly, thanks for standing by. Good afternoon. Oh, hi. Um, I was... Um diagnosed with a brain tumor um, just before the world shut down um, early in March. And so I'm on long-term disability with my employer that's been approved or whatever. Um, But my workplace is still closed due to COVID. So I'm assuming that long-term disability wants to get me back to work so they don't have to pay me. So I'm just wondering if, if I'm sent back to work or, or deemed returned to work, um, Am I eligible to collect severance if I'm not recalled back to work? Yes, but there's a lot going on here. Um, So, I mean, regardless of what your insurer wants and what your employer wants, what is your doctor saying? What's what? Uh, Have you been cleared to return to work? No, no. Um, Okay. So, I mean, first and foremost, I think that if you have, you know, a medical opinion that says that 
you are not capable of performing the duties of your occupation right now and your LTD insurer tries to cut you off of long-term disability benefits, you likely have an LTD insurance claim. Um, our firm handles that as well. I do LTD claims in addition to employment law. So you had definitely called the right program. Um, yeah. And uh, you know that would be something that we could look into. But if your doctor um, you know, is saying that you can return to work, and they and the company is shut down there might be a claim for severance um but we would want to dig into that a little bit generally speaking um if you are trying to return to work and and you're able to return to work and your employer or the company doesn't have a position for you that means that you've been terminated and you can get severance but if the company is closed i i do have some questions mm -hmm. about number one whether how solvent they are right in terms of being able to pay for any outstanding um severance claim and well, they might sh go ahead sorry it's a uh casino Ah, okay, yeah. So a casino is probably one of the few places in BC that I think is going to be able to avail themselves of statutory protection under the Employment Standards Act in claiming that the COVID-19 pandemic is a frustrating event. Um, mm -hmm. I do think that uh, to the extent that employers in BC have been ordered to shut down, or mm -hmm. are no longer able to operate on account of the pandemic, they um, can escape some level of compensation to its employees as a result of your termination. That doesn't necessarily mean that your common law severance uh, isn't applicable, right? So that's something that we would we would still want to explore, but I would likely expect some pushback um, coming mm -hmm. from the casino on that front. But first and foremost, I do think that, you know, exploring the LTD claim is particularly if you've been cut off would be worthwhile for you. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you, Carly. Thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, give you a way to contact uh, Leah. No problem. Here is the phone number. It's 604-283-3123. Again, 604 283 3123, and the email address is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And I should mention as well, anytime you'd uh, like some advice, some more information, you can go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. That website is absolutely free. It's anonymous. It is uh, so full of information, really robust. And in there as well is the Severance Pay Calculator app. If you've never used that particular page, you can check that out again, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll get to our topic for the night and more of your phone calls. you still got plenty of time. It's early in the show, 604-280-9898. Employment Law Show continues. This is CKNW. And welcome back indeed. It is uh, 4.33. Welcome to the show. If you've never called through, make this the time you get the uh, the information and get some things cleared up as far as your situation. If you're in an employment situation with uh, your workplace or maybe you are an employer and you've got some questions, maybe it's a temporary layoff thing due to COVID-19, doesn't matter. Bring it on. Leah is here to answer your question. 604-280-9898. In that regard, going to get to Amelia. Amelia, thanks for hanging on through the break. How are you this afternoon? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Great. What's uh, what's on your mind? Go ahead. Okay. Um, the reason I'm calling is my brother was uh, placed on long-term disability from his job about 10 years ago because of cancer. And everything was going okay until last November when he received a letter from his employer saying that the company in Vancouver was dissolved. And the head office in Toronto was assuming his uh, 
uh, claim. So my question is, is there a chance that they could just dismiss it since Mario was not an employee of the head office? Sorry, what do you mean that the head office in Toronto was assuming his claim? What does that mean? This, uh, this is a world conglomerate. And one of the offices they had was here in Vancouver. That office was uh, closed. And because he is in a disability claim, the head office in Toronto took over his claim. Uh, they sent him a letter saying that he was everything was going to remain the same. But he's concerned that as he wasn't an employee of the Toronto office directly, they can just cut him off. Okay, I mean, so at a very basic level, it sounds like the he's still technically considered an employee of the company, right? And so for the purposes of, you know, whether or not he has to bring any claim for termination or severance pay right now, I don't think that you do. Um, what he may want to make inquiries about is what the plan is when he returns, right? Because if he, when he's ready to return to work, and I hope that that's soon, um, if the only place for him to work is in Toronto and he lives and has always worked for the company in Vancouver, that is not a, a change that he's required to accept. And in that case, if that's the only, if that's the only way that the company can employ him, he can say, I, I am not going to work in Toronto. I'm not going to uproot my life, um, you know, and, you know, change all of my care providers and leave my family behind. Um, I'm going to treat that as the termination of my employment. And now you owe me severance. And the full time that he was on leave is also going to count towards his length of service that will help to determine his severance. So okay. I don't think that there's anything that's actionable right now, but I would encourage your brother to reach out to the company to find out what exactly they're planning on doing when he's ready to return to work. Okay. Yeah. Th thank you very much. Yeah, his question was, he was starting to feel uneasy about receiving that letter and he thought because it was from Toronto, maybe they were getting ready to cut him off. So uh, thank you for clarifying that. You're very welcome. Amelia, appreciate that. You have any other questions or your brother as well? 604-283-3123. Again, 604-283-3123 is the way to reach out to Leah and her team at the firm anytime. Feel free to do so. You have time here as well to call in and ask your questions while we're, uh, we're still on air doing the show. And that number 604-280-9898. Again, 604-280-9898. 9898 is how uh, how we do that. Now, I wanted to mention getting into our, our topic for the night, and that would be employee rights on the sale of a business. There you go. Number one, when a business is sold, do employees automatically get severance across the board? So it, it no, it, it's not, <laughs> certainly not automatic. And it depends, it depends on two things. Um, you know, the first is what kind of sale it is, which is a bit mm -hmm. technical, but it's, you know, worth exploring here. Um, and then the second is whether or not the business that buys the company is offering employment. Um, so, you know, very basic when a business is sold, no, you don't automatically get severance. Um, there are two kinds of sales that it can be. Uh, there's the sale of the company's shares or the sale of the company's assets or, uh, or both uh, in many cases. If there's only the sale of the company's shares such that the owner of the company changes, but the identity of the employer is essentially the same, 
then the buyer company inherits all of the selling company's assets and liabilities. And that includes a company's greatest assets, which are its employees. Uh, a share purchase agreement can technically happen without the employees even knowing that it's happening because everything essentially continues on uninterrupted, except for, you know, maybe a name on the paycheck. In this case, there is no termination of employment. You do not pass go and there's no entitlement to severance. Uh, if the buyer company later terminates any of those employees, of course, then the buyer will owe severance based on the entire time that the employee was employed. Um, but if the transaction is not just a share purchase, so, so if it's structured as a sale and purchase of the assets of the selling company, then when the deal closes, the selling company effectively stops doing business and the employees are no longer required. This does legally trigger a termination and it does mean that in those moments, the employee is entitled to severance. However, once we answer that first question, we move on to the second step, which is, you know, does the buyer company offer to continue the employment relationship? So if the buyer offers to continue the employment relationship on substantially the same terms, as before, then the employee actually has a legal obligation to accept that offer. And common law severance is going to be forfeit no matter what the employee decides to do about it. If the employee accepts the offer, then they've mitigated their damages and that means no more severance. If the employee does not accept an offer on substantially similar terms, and then that means that they have failed to mitigate, and again, no more common law severance. Right. If the buyer company does not make an offer, or makes an offer that is materially different from the position that you held before, then the employee can actually legally turn that job down and still be entitled to severance. Uh, more often than not, from the uh, from the terminating company, so from the first company, the seller. But ultimately, that will depend on on what the the purchase agreement says. So yes, if your company has sold its assets and the buyer company either did not make you an offer of employment or made you an offer that is very different from on, on the essential terms from the position that you held before, then you would be entitled to severance in that case. Employee rights in the sale of a business. By the way, anything uh, have you scratching your head that we talk about over the next couple breaks here, feel free to call in and ask. 604-280-9898 is that number, as you know. So what happens to an employee's uh, seniority if a business is sold and they continue working? Or does it matter unless you're a unionized employee, I guess, or not? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, First of all, fair comment. This this all has me scratching my head too, right? Like this uh -huh. is this is a very complicated fact specific area, but it's so common right now, John. Like yep. so many companies are trying to stay alive by, you know, mergers and acquisitions. Um and so I've had a ton of people call me lately to figure out what their rights are in this situation. And so certainly if this at all sounds familiar and I'm just speaking way too fast or you don't understand a word I'm saying, please give me a call. I'm happy to, you know, to talk this out with you specifically um, in relation to your, you know, your unique situation. But uh, John, as for your question with respect to an employee seniority, um, nothing happens to your seniority if the oh. employer sells your business and you continue to work. And that is regardless of the type of sale or what kind of offer is, uh, offer was made. The only exception to that would be if you explicitly agree otherwise. So if you get a contract of employment that says that your prior years of service with company A 
are not going to be recognized going forward. You know, that's a major, major red flag. And totally. please, please, please do not sign that. Uh, but as long as you don't specifically or explicitly agree otherwise, your seniority will automatically carry through. And if it ever comes to pass that you're terminated by the buyer company, they will owe you severance based on the entire duration of your employment and not just from the point of sale. And that's true no matter how many purchases there's been, right? So I've, I've represented clients who were employed way back in 1992 and the company was sold, you know, five, six, seven times. It's still considered continuous service all the way back to 1992. Let's take a short break. We'll continue on that topic, employee rights on the sale of a business. You might be in this situation sooner than later. You don't know, right, with COVID-19. So we'll take a short break, give you some time to grab a phone, ask a question related or unrelated to this topic. That's fine. Bring it on. That's why the show is here. 604-280-9898, Employment Law Show, CKNW. Leah Moody is in the chair taking your phone calls and your questions, 604-280-9898. In that regard, getting over to Ed. Ed, thanks for hanging on for a couple minutes. Uh, good afternoon. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Um, sure, uh, go my ahead. My question is, I was laid off on March 15th. Hmm. The company may or may not be sold, and my question is, there's no union involved here. Is there any obligation on behalf of the company to bring people back uh, based on your seniority? It's a non-union company because in I view it, if they were going to bring people back, they're going to bring back the people that will cost them less money because you're on an hourly rate. So somebody with 20 years experience makes substantially more than somebody with six months experience or a year's worth of experience. So mm-hmm. I just would like to know, are there any obligation for them to bring people back when, in order of when they were hired? Strictly speaking, no. So unless there's an employment contract that says anything like that, that says that if you're ever laid off, you're gonna be called back in order of seniority, uh, there there is no obligation on them legally to uh to you know what you just described bringing somebody on because they have a cheaper hourly rate that is technically and legally fair game what i will say is that if the practical effect of that is that they are only bringing back younger employees and i've seen this in a couple of instances is that most of the people who are considered to be financial liabilities from a company's perspective have all been with the company for a long period of time are in their 50s or 60s and so you end up with a company that you know is making a decision that's mostly related to the bottom line but has the effect of only recalling younger employees and terminating all of its older employees that that's potentially a discrimination complaint Right. So that can be something that is illegal. That can be something that's that's not permitted. But keep in mind that if you've been laid off since March, the company does have a legal obligation to recall all of its employees by now. And if they haven't, then you are going to be entitled to severance. Well, they got an extension. Um, they did get they it. Applied okay. For. Yeah. They, and, and got an extension. And we had to vote yes or no on that. Yeah. 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 And so how long is the variance for? Uh, till December. Oof. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the end of December, if they haven't recalled you and they don't 
get another variance, um, or if they apply for another variance and you've said no, and you just happen to be affected by that variance because more than 50% of the employees who are affected voted in favor of the variance, you know, please do reach out because you could be in a position at that point to, to get severance. And, and I, uh, one last question, if, if sure. people are brought back and how I view to be just based simply on earnings, mm-hmm. and you can prove that you, you received the best or very good feedback from the general public who used the service, mm-hmm. can you present that in any way and say, you know, if you're going to bring people back, you have to look at the big picture. Or they they can choose whatever they want. There's, they don't have to explain anything or provide any evidence as to why they brought people back in the way that they did. That That's essentially correct. Um, the law doesn't prevent people from making bad business decisions. So if they don't want to bring somebody back who's a good producer for them, that is their prerogative. They're legally allowed to do that. It may not make sense. It may not feel fair, but it's not illegal unless it has a discriminatory impact like the one we were discussing. Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you, Ed. Appreciate the call and uh, your time. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. You want to uh, reach out further. If you have any more questions, ask Leah. No problem. 604-283-3123 is the way. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. We're talking about being part of a sale of a business. doesn't matter if the new company wants the employee or employees to sign a contract of employment because you know that's going to happen, right? Yes. Um yeah, and it happens a lot. And really, I mean, think about it from the perspective of the buyer, right? They are inheriting or, yep. you know, a whole crew of employees that they that they don't know, right? That they didn't interview. And perhaps these employees aren't, don't fit with the corporate structure or there's some personality conflict or some other issue, right? It can be a, a very expensive tryout if the buyer takes on the seniority of a, you know, 25-year guy that then for one reason or another, they need to let go of shortly after the sale. So in 90% of cases, the buyer is often going to put a contract in front of you to limit their liability. You know, they'll be asking you to sign a contract that either says that you agree that your prior years of service won't be recognized, Mm -hmm. or that you agree to receive the minimum entitlements on on termination, or both. Um, You know, I spoke to a woman who had worked with the company for 17 years without a contract. And when her employer sold, the buyer offered her similar employment, but with a contract that explicitly refused to acknowledge her 17 years of service and put her on a termination provision, which meant that if she had accepted and then the buyer terminated her, her entitlements would be eight weeks versus yeah. 18 to 20 months, right? So that's a that's a big, big difference. And a lot of buyers are gonna do that because if the seller had a bunch of employees who were, weren't on employment contracts, you know, their plan might be to fire you in a couple of months anyway, because they want to, you know, have their own team in place, but they want to get you on employment contracts first so that they can limit that liability. So moral of the story, right? As it is with any contract of employment letter or really any piece of paper that your employer gives you that you're being asked to put your name on, please get it reviewed. Give us a call and have it reviewed because, you know, that is that it can result in a substantial difference in what you're entitled to at the end of the day. So if you're still working there, they, they throw this contract at you, the new buyer, and you say, yeah, you know, I'm a 25-year guy. You're not going to limit my uh, my uh, severance pay to the, the standard minimums. And you say, no, I'm not signing that. Okay, you're gone. So now who pays your severance, the buyer or the seller? Seller. 
And, you know, the seller and the buyer, right, they're probably going uh -huh. to have an argument over, you know, who whose pocket it comes from. But okay. our suit would be against the seller. The seller is probably going to make an argument that you should have accepted that job, right? But, you know, th this woman that I was telling you about, this was somebody that I acted for and won on on that exact issue. You know, yeah. she, the, the judge found that even though she was getting the same offer of employment, and it was in fact at a raise, the fact that she was being asked to sign a contract that had a termination provision was substantially different enough that she was allowed to turn it down. And she sued, we sued, I sued for, on, for her on her behalf, the seller company, and we won. And she got her full severance from that seller company. So, uh, you know, it's always important to look after contracts, but, you know, yeah. it is particularly important in, in this context between uh, buyer and seller. Can the new company put you on a probation and let you go uh, for nothing at that point? If they choose no, to. generally not. And, and you know, for the reason that we discussed at the beginning, which is that your your service is meant to continue on, and you know, so although the new company can ask you to sign a contract that says that you forfeit your common law severance entitlements, um, you know, all entitlements accrued under the Employment Standards Act will continue to accrue, and you cannot contract out of that. Right. So that means that your vacation pay, vacation time, entitlement to severance, you know. Although I guess they could technically put you on probation in name, they, they wouldn't be able to let you go for nothing. They would still have to pay you your severance under the Employment Standards Act if they wanted to let you go. And that severance has to include all of your years of service, including with the seller. You know, it's kind of the topic of probations when you start a new job. And this isn't necessarily where the business has been bought and sold. You just walk in, you got a new gig, and uh, you think right away... Oh, well, it's my first three months. I'm automatically on probation. There is no automatic probation. Is it not a creature of an employment contract? Yes, that is a fabulous, fabulous follow-up to that to that question and this topic because that is such a common misconception. And we should probably yeah. put that on our list of the top 10 misconceptions because right. people really do think that probationary periods are built in to a new job offer. But unless it's in your employment contract, it's not. Um, and if you're terminated you know, two months after you were hired, guess what? You still get severance. The only way that you don't is if um, you have a contract, it says that you're on a probationary period, it says that if you're terminated during that probationary period, you get nothing, and importantly, they have given you a fair shake. So I have a lot of um, situations, I've come across a lot of situations where the employer has put a, something in there, you know, that says, you know, you're going to be on probation for, for three months and, you know, we're not going to pay you anything if we let you go on this regard. But then three months comes and goes, um, you know, the day before the three months expires, let's say the employer says, you know, we don't want you here. We're terminating you according to the probationary period. If yeah. there has been no conversation about you know, uh, what the standards were or how this employee wasn't quite meeting them. There's been no opportunity to sort of prove yourself. There's been no feedback in that regard. A court could find, and there's lots of case law in BC to support it, a court could find that you weren't given a fair shot on the probationary period. It can strike that provision and then you'll still wow. be entitled to severance. Yeah. So anytime I have an employer client say, Leah, I want to have a you know, a 12 month probationary period. <laughs> um, I say you can do that if you want, but just so you know, if you decide to terminate them within that 12 month period, you are actually going to be held to a higher standard 
of showing that you had reason uh, or a good impetus to do it than if you if there was no probationary period in the first place. So there are all kinds of misconceptions about probationary periods, and this has just inspired me to maybe talk about this the next time. Yeah, maybe we'll do that on our next show. We're just about uh, ready to wrap for this afternoon. Appreciate all your phone calls and your correspondence. You want to carry on with Leah after uh, after the show's done, which is now. You can do so. Here's how you do it. 604-283-3123. That number again, 604-283-3123. You want to reach out through email. If you prefer, no problem. That's help at employmentlawyer.ca or simply go to employmentlawyer.ca, the website. And then finally, uh, it's like having Leah with you 24-7. Tons of information here, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Absolutely free and absolutely anonymous. We'll catch you next time. Employment Law Show on CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.